What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the ProHo Podcast. Another Wednesday, another day to talk all things sex. I am so happy to be joined by Ronell E. Nelson, LMFT, and she is here to speak with us about shame, sexual stigma, how to restore intimacy and vulnerability, back to your sexual life, what that looks like personified, how can you tap back into your pleasure, and just be free and understand that your impulses are valid and that you deserve to feel good. So without further ado, please welcome Ronell. Thanks so much for joining us. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Again, my name is Ronell E. Nelson. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist who specialize in intimacy and infidelity recovery. What I do is I focus with individuals and couples um, to reclaim their life and their romance and their relationship and their pleasure after the trauma of betrayal. Incredible. Um, And I feel like that's such an interesting um, perspective to have because I don't think we personally think a lot about betrayal and what that looks like in restoring a relationship with partners after cheating or infidelity has has happened. So I'm curious to know why you were drawn to cover that kind of, you know, relationship work and intimacy work. What led you to that kind of practice? Well, in my life, um, everything that I have became, it is what I needed at that time. So when I chose to deal with infidelity is because when I needed that information, it was no one talking about it. We were taught how to just survive infidelity. We weren't taught how to thrive or how to right, we're, we're... or how to prevent or educate ourselves. Yeah, or educate ourselves about it. So when right, we're kind of taught to disconnect, right? Yeah, yeah, we taught to just disconnect, and depending on the family, this just happens. This is part of the relationship, you know. I'm in a heterosexual relationship, so it was just like let a man be a man, um, just long as he don't bring it home. I was hearing a lot of those um, negative generational narratives that really didn't help or inform me; just told me how to deal with it. So I stayed in a relationship that didn't really get the nourishment it needed and the relationship didn't change. So I left, but nobody again taught me what to do when you leave and that the trauma stays with you even when you left because we think I'm going to leave and it's going to be okay and it's not. With the sexual piece is because I was highly sexualized when I was younger. I really didn't know my body. Like some of us, we were taught to please and not to receive pleasure. I was disconnected from my sexual self. Excuse me. This caused a um, disconnection not only with myself, but even in my life. When I needed the information, it wasn't the one who looked like me. You know, a black woman talking about this and you can reconnect and it's okay to have an orgasm, pleasure. I didn't see that at that time. So when I was in my studies, I had a wonderful teacher who told me, hey, we need somebody in the sex education field like you. And I felt like, you know what? You do. (laughs) So I became in both arenas who I needed. So in my studies and in my educational journey, I became who I needed and who I felt the community may need at that time too. So I specialize in intimacy and infidelity. 
That's so that's so beautiful. And to your point, to a couple of your points, um, when you talk about how in a lot of black heterosexual relationships, often our family and our communities, they surround us and they say, you know what, just he's a man being a man, just accept it. Because I think a lot of times black people are very preoccupied with saving face and presenting themselves as the Joneses and that their family unit their you know, is functioning perfectly, <laughs> that they're, you know, there's no mishaps happening but that itself that itself actually works against progressive conversations and sexual politics because we are not holding our men or other people in our communities um, accountable for those actions that are not allowing us to progress and speak openly about sex and about pleasure and monogamy if that's what you choose to partake in um so I thought that that was a really interesting point is like how we need to kind of shift the narrative of, you know, this, we should not be hiding that kind of behavior. We should, in fact, be really discussing it openly in order to kind of restore the maybe, you know, family unit, if that's what you're aspiring towards. But I think a lot of times black women, I mean, time and time again, we know the narrative black women always show up. We we speak up for our families. We protect our families. But that's exhausting also. And our pleasure should not come um, it should not be sacrificed just to uphold this family unit. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. It makes a lot of sense because even now I work with a lot of uh, working women who put their pleasure off. You know, right. um, I have work to do. Um, the bills, the kids. Um, but now I just don't have time in my day. And I try to reframe that mindset with them is why is pleasure is something that you feel like you need when everything is going good. Pleasure is something that you reward yourself when you need that motivation and that boost. What better time is it to reward yourself with a pleasurable break in and outside the bedroom when stuff is going hectic, when you need it the most? Now, I know it's not always at the ultimate time that when you know when you have kids or something to just break off in your room and have an orgasm real quick but it's something to think about you know it's something to think about what can i do at this time because what i also teach is we are built of excuses in relationships and anything we self-sacrifice Yes, so definitely. when stuff get bad, we are the one we gonna sacrifice ourselves and our well being, our self care, our self maintenance, our self love, our self empowerment. We gonna throw ourselves in front of everything and be like, nope, I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna put myself and just let everything run all over me. And see, this is what depletes us while we can trying to complete everybody else. So along with great platforms like you that we are trying to move that pleasure is your birthright pleasure is something you use when you don't need it the most that's when you need it the most and i always ask my parents especially my wives that i talk to okay the bill's gonna get paid the kids are gonna be 18 then what's gonna be your excuse and they just look at me i'm like yeah because eventually you are going to come face to face with that. And then that's when we dive a lot into a whole deeper subject is intimacy avoidance. That's a big issue nobody wants to talk about because a lot of people don't know what it means to be intimate. 
Right, no, exactly. Don't know what to give intimacy. Cause so I teach intimacy is a gift, but intimacy is knowing your story and being able to share. And that includes fears, um, what you most vulnerable with. It's all what you have in you and you share that with your partner. That is really true intimacy. And a lot of people are afraid of that because if I show this person who I really am, they might not love me. So they right. give them bits and pieces. But then they say, you know what, we're not intimate. I was like, how can you be intimate with somebody when you're really not really being intimate with yourself? So I teach a lot about self-intimacy. Yes. Because we want our partner to be this everything and for us, but we're not even showing up fully. Exactly. Because like to your point, there's a fear of being judged as being imperfect, right? But we there is no such thing as being perfect. We are all imperfect. But being intimate means you're allowing someone to see you, who you are, your most authentic self, who you are without. And it, it goes beyond, you know, your appearance, obviously. But it's like, who are you at the core? Who is Who are you without any ego? Who do you show up as when it is just you and yourself? And I think for a lot of people, it's diff- myself included, it's difficult to let those walls down because of fear of judgment. And like to your point, until we feel worthy and deserving ourselves to receive that kind of trust and love and intimacy, how can we expect it from someone else? And, you know, um, Maya Angelou, she says a quote, I don't want to I don't want to say it incorrectly, but basically it's saying she doesn't trust people who say I love you, but they don't love themselves. And that's that's so powerful to me is how can you really give love or expect love if you don't show yourself that same respect? So I think that that's something that's really true. A lot of us get into relationships or sexual relationships and then we're questioning why didn't it work? Why didn't it work out? Or like I gave him my body sexually or I did this, I did that. But it's like, were you really vulnerable? Were you really intimate? Was there real trust? And I think those are some questions that we, those are difficult questions that we don't often ask ourselves and we don't ask of our partners to answer those questions. I think, I don't, I'm curious to know from your perspective, because you are um, a therapist, just in your work with people, do you find that intimacy is something that's very difficult for people to attain or is, do people feel worthy of receiving intimacy? No. No, um, intimacy is just like a class that I am really getting into with teaching because no one really fully knows. They just hear the word intimate foreplay. So they feel like intimacy is sex, but we know we can have sex without being intimate. I can fully give you my body without fully giving you me, you know? So that's the whole thing that intimacy is not sex. Intimacy starts outside the bedroom. Intimacy intimacy starts with first knowing about yourself, who you are, what you want, your desires, your dream, and being able to share that with your partner. Intimacy, you see, that's scaring a lot of people because a lot of people are taught to please not to receive pleasure. A lot of us are in a relationship to complete us. And that's when the mishap, like, this is my partner. It doesn't matter about me. It's more about them. And we can hear that and just when people talk to me, I can hear the saturation in their language, especially with infidelity recovery, when it's more about healing the relationship and more about, hey, I need healing too. What about me? Because what did that um, affair say to you about yourself? What did that affair say to you about your self-esteem? What did it say to you about your self-worth? 
So you're trying to heal the relationship and you're going to go back into the relationship unhealed. It's not going to work. A lot of people are not ready to do the work on itself. We spend so many countless hours and money and institutions and academia learning about other things and other subjects but when it comes to us i'm rushed like how long is this going to take well i need to do this i was like why do you spend less time on yourself and more thing more time on stuff outside of you and that's yes. just something we have to uh, learn we got so much student loan debt but when it comes to learning about yourself, nobody is really fully invested. You yeah, know, they give, definitely. They give people like three sessions. I mm. don't see no change. Or I get, I have even with my coaching clients, they come in and I and we get back on the session, and I was like, "Well, did you do your homework? I didn't have time." Mm. Well, oh, life happened. I said, "Okay, let me get this right." Were you not really ready for this? Because this is why you're here. Yes, exactly. You know, it's an investment in itself, and so many people are used to self-sacrificing themselves, and then they wonder why the foundation is cracked, not only in their relationship, but in their business, in their family. All these stuff are all connected. Most definitely, and I think a lot of it, because you had mentioned that a lot of people use sex, um, they they attribute sex to being intimate and that's not true. And I think for myself, I had to really realize that I used sex kind of as a power tool and as a defense mechanism because I wasn't confident. I didn't, I was very insecure and lacked self-worth, but I felt like sex was one way that I could assert power in a relationship, but it was only a mask because I didn't feel valuable in any other capacity and like the way that I brought myself emotionally or intellectually to a relationship but I knew I could always kind of rely on sex but like you said intimacy is so much broader than sexual relationships so then when everything fell apart it was like oh well of course because you didn't establish this foundation with the person before like this like sex is a very it's such a small part of intimacy and it doesn't dictate you know how this relationship is going to turn out. It doesn't dictate any kind of real true connection with another person. And I think for a lot of us, it's it's because of trauma from past um, previous relationships that we have not dealt with, that we don't understand how it is then personified in new relationships. We care If we don't deal with it, if we don't ground it, if we don't assess it, then it definitely comes with us to the next relationship, right? And then we're just like, we're projecting that insecurity and that fear onto new people. And I think it's just, it's so cyclical if we don't, you know, speak with people, speak with a therapist and understand some of our, you know, previous experiences, even if that's when you were a child or in college, whenever, as an adult, if we don't really think about those experiences, I think it's going to limit how we relate sexually and with our pleasure to, to other people and like you said even in our work and careers it's like if you can't trust people or if you don't feel deserving of other people's trust then how can you really succeed in any part of your life and the trust of yourself i talk a lot about right. self-betrayal a lot of us want people we want we say we don't trust people we don't trust this we don't trust that and a lot of time is because we don't trust ourselves sometimes yep. in our life that we have been betrayed that we scared to fully trust so we project that untrusting uh, persona onto people like, I can't trust you because I can't trust myself. 
because right. I can't make good decisions. I don't know what I would do in a situation. You know, so how can I trust you with what you're going to do in a situation? And then I always ask, what's the definition of trust? Yes. I mean, yes. You know, I don't trust you. If you really look at the definition of trust, it is to just, you know, you trust that something's going to happen or what you choose to do, no matter what, you know, I don't know the true definition of it. I know my definition of it, but <laughs> <laughs> trust in defeat to say, I don't trust someone is just so broad. You don't trust me to do what? And I always right. ask that, I don't trust myself. I said, trust yourself to do what? And with that, we discuss and we put out the things that can be standing in the way of you not trusting yourself. And when did that show up before? How can you not trust yourself? Remember when you did this, this, and this? Oh, yeah, I remember. But you have to trust. We let sometimes, um, I want to go back to what you talked about, about relationships. It's not always relationship. Remember, our first relationship is with our families. So that's when everything is established. Right. That's when our first betrayals, that's when our first loves, that's when all of this is established. That's how we learn how to deal with infidelity. We learn by what our environment and we see how other people treat it. And we see how it feels to us and see how other people react. And then we add on to it. So then we take this and we add our romantic relationships on it. And we get this foundation. But what happened if it was all wrong? Mm, right. What happened if it was all wrong? What happened if, you know, you had toxic parents because they was raising you in survival? What happened if those first relationships you had that you projected this onto that and you was repeating a cycle? What mm -hmm. happened if now you're not ready to do that and you want to make a change, but you don't trust yourself because you're so used to dysfunction that you know how it is to um, not want something, but to need something, you really don't know what that means. So you have to unlearn and trust yourself that you're going to be okay. And then we have to talk to ourselves, well, why don't we trust ourselves? Then we go why to don't like, I? yeah, and then we had to go by, you know what? Well, I made this decision. I'm going to be okay. So where did that come from? Self-worth. Yes, from yes. Self no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Well, what are some, because, you know, I think a lot of people, like I'm sure you're familiar with um, the five love languages and everyone kind of tries to assess and figure out what are their love languages. And some of the debate and the conversations out there are saying that your love language is really what you kind of missed out on in your childhood. For instance, uh, my father was very soft-spoken and kind of submissive and didn't really... Um, say I love you much like words were really never his way of communicating love but he always like cooked for us and he always ha gave us money like he showed love in a very different way so some people would say that my love language now would be words of affirmation because I didn't receive words of affirmation from my father as a child so I mean I just am curious maybe if you have some pointers on how people can start to mend any of their you know family relationships that are are affecting them currently in their adult relationships like what are maybe some some easy tactical steps that people can start in order to repair what they feel like is maybe missing the first thing i recommend is to acknowledge it like you went back and you went back and you learned from the past you didn't stay there you was like this is what happened 
this is why I'm like that. And you took it and you moved forward. So we know we can't bring the past present. So what I would recommend is do is to really sit with yourself and get naked with yourself and just really be raw and say, what is my earliest memory of this? What's my earliest feeling of neglect from this? Learn from that. Learn from that and move forward. Is it something that should be healed or is it something that should be acknowledged or is it something that should be released? Everything that you went through is not to, for you to store. If it's going, we got to determine if it's going to help or harm us. If it's going to help us, let's see how it's going to enhance. But if mm. it's going to harm us, let's see how we can release it. Yes. Yes. And how we can reframe and how we can reframe that. We're going to evolve or die. Mm. I'm a therapist that's like, I'm all for what happened to you in the past. But how are you bringing us in the present and what do you want now? We right. can't keep letting the present, the past affect our present. Now, um, I deal with a lot of people who talk about childhood, but they damn near 50. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what do you want now? It's time that we uh, acknowledge that. I'm all for going back and hearing, healing that inner child. I'm all for that, but... We've been doing that for the past six years. Exactly. We, we got to yep. see why, and then we got to see the pros and cons of this behavior. We got to see why you feel like you're unworthy of evolution. Why do you don't yes. want to change? What are you scared of? That was then, but what is now? And also, I like to talk about the love languages. But also, remember this. Your desire change, your arousal change, your affection change, everything changes. I work with couples. Their love language may be A, B, and C, year one, change year five, change mm. year 10. That's why you have to keep reconnecting not only with your partner, but with yourself. You have to understand and be able to have a safe place that you're able to share with your partner. Like, honey, I used to like that, but I don't, I don't like that. Instead of suffering in silence and yes. saying that y'all grew apart or they don't understand you. It's time for you to understand yourself and the changes that you experiencing and share with your partner. So much of my work is dealt with helping my clients understand you can't live your life on assumptions. Right. Yes. Like, no, we're not mind readers. <laughs> we're not mind readers. Assuming and discuss. Yes. You know, and you, I you think have to talk. Definitely. And I think also, like you're saying about releasing it and sharing it with partners, it's also important, A, to release it so that you're not transferring it on to not even your partner, your partner as well, of course, but like your children. Like, how are you passing on this information to your children of how to have and maintain healthy relationships? I think that's too what I'm really interested in is I didn't really have any of that teaching as a child, really seeing like very open communicative relationships between my parents or my aunts and uncles, my grandparents. Like we're talking like lots of ancestral trauma that no one really did the work to undo. So now when I'm thinking about how I want to insert myself and how I want to be seen in a relationship, I'm like, okay, so what, what I'm not going to do is what my mom and my aunt and my sister and my grandma did. But I don't know that they have reflected on how they really kind of transferred it down. But I also feel like it was a different time where, like you said, pleasure was never on the forefront or something that they felt that they deserved. So they didn't advocate for themselves in in the same way that I think 
it's more accessible to us now. Yeah. And our language is better. Our um, empowerment. Uh, we have um, rights more. We feel like we are established more. Some of us. And some of us, even though we have that path, we are scared to take it. We are Absolutely. scared to take it. So that's why um, just giving yourself permission to explore, excite, and educate, and empower. Giving yourself that permission. A lot of times in session, I just give a client permission to do something. And that's mm. the, they haven't heard that in so long because, again, we're going based on the past and what they learned in their family. They were saying what they can't do. But here goes somebody in another realm telling them that you can. And they never heard that. Yes. They never heard that. I'm like, you can do this. And I'm like, what? I can? Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we're not that inner child. You're not 13. You're not six. Mm. And sometimes we even had to talk to that inner, inner part of us and say, hey, thank you for, because that part just wants you to be aware our body uses things to prepare us, you know, fight, fight, flight, fear. You know, we got all of this. Our body is made up to protect us d through different things. So when right. that part come out of you, be like, hey, remember when this happened and everything like that? That's when we turn to that part and be like, you know what? I understand that you don't want me and that's what happened then. But I'm 35 now. Yes. I have a voice. Right. But thank you. Thank you for letting me remind me of that because I forgot that happened. But thank you for letting me, uh, allow me to remember that and that you care about me, self. And yes. I got this. So you can move back some and let me go ahead because that part just keep coming up because it just doesn't want you to make the same mistakes. And it's time that we have to really talk and cheer ourselves on that we're not that part anymore. Right. That's not, we are, we grow. We have to allow ourselves the space to grow. And it takes constant introspection, which, you know, I think a lot of us don't always consider. It's like, well, I'm the same person I was 10 years ago, but are, you're not, you're not. And you've changed based on relationships and your environment. And I think it's really powerful that what you said about giving your clients the permission to to enjoy and to feel good because yeah you're right i don't think that's something that and my not mom to struggle yes and not to struggle everybody feel like i'm not alive unless i struggle we talk about struggle love you know i listen to summer walker she want a riot to show her love you know we listen to a lot of stuff and we around and we see we compare ourselves to other relationships uh, you don't love me because you didn't do this, this, and this. We don't understand again what that's how they communicate love. Yes, right. That's and how sometimes they you have to share with them, not to challenge them that it's not it's wrong. We have also are we so good about saying what's right and what's wrong. It's not right or wrong. It worked best for me. Our yes. language, our language kills relationships. Yes. You know, we talk about, I have so many clients and couples want to come to me for communication. And so, oh, we want to work on the communication. That's so broad. You right. Know, but people forget that a part of communication is effective listening. Mm. And that's listening and understand. And how many of us are fully present when our partners are talking? How are you, how come, you know, coaching sessions, are you fully present? Are you fully present listening to this podcast or are you just listening to it just to be doing something? 
Right. You know, because that's all part of communication. That's part of understanding. Yes. Right? Because we right. can show up, but we can't. We don't have to be present. And then we just regurgitate or rebuttal. But, but, you know, because we only want to get our own agenda across. So that's yes. one thing I recommend. Communication is not only uh, just communicating the message. It's tone. It's delivery. It's being fully present. Right. It's regurgitating what you heard to make sure you have understanding. Yes. And like, and to your point, you also have to be aware of exactly what you want, right? Like you, you have to, how important is it to communicate with a purpose that I I imagine that's a really important part of it, right? I always say before you go out, check in. mm. I always tell my clients before you go out, go in. What is the point I'm trying to get across? Am I trying to help or harm? Am I communicating for resolution or to just be heard? Yes. Because that you have to have that mission. And sometimes we look at, especially in relationships, uh, I'm like, y'all really are on the surface level. So we talk about how to, I always talk to my couples because I love this so much. You probably hear it all the time. When your uh, couple comes, oh, we got good communication. We communicate <laughs> yeah. all the time. I'm like, well, do y'all, what does your, your um, partner desire? I don't know. We don't talk about that. Mm. What do they fear? I don't know. We don't talk about that. Right. What is their love language? How do they like to receive and give love? I don't know. Or if they do, oh, yeah, we talked about that. Well, how are you implementing it? Exactly. What are the, what are the actions that you are act, that you are actively putting into effect in order to create the change? Um, or just a check in. We yes. have a good relationship. I said, if I ask your partner, would they feel the same way? Because mm. you assume it. You assume. You don't check in. Right. You know. So we talk about um, one thing is to connect, and one thing is to check in. A lot of time, relationships are just checking in with each other. You good? I'm good. What are we going to eat? <laughs> then it's a point of connecting. Connecting about, let's take a walk. Um, how was your day? You know, what would you like to do next in your job? Exactly. Okay, what do you see yourself on fire? It's time to connect. About, especially if we bring it into world events. How are these uh, world events affecting you at your job? What are your views about this? Don't assume everybody's on the same page because we're the same color or we're the same gender. And everybody has a different view. You know, yes. I heard um, I hear that quarantine brought out so much in relationships that a lot of people was talking about breaking up. I said, quarantine breaking you up, y'all wasn't meant for each other anyway. <laughs> Facts. Yes. Because Absolutely. Because a couple of weeks and uh, months together is going to break you up i just have to question the whole relationship oh this is a time to come together instead of worrying about everybody else yes get to know your partner connect evolve absolutely absolutely and i feel you know my friend she was joking but she was like you know says i'm just waiting for all these uh quarantine divorces to hit and then i will be able to find my man and i was like oh my gosh but i do feel like you know, some people are struggling with being this intimate. And well, I mean, let's, you know, maybe not intimate, but in such a small space with their partners for such a long time and feeling like they don't have the ability to carve out 
enough personal space and maybe feel suffocated and everything like that. But I agree with you. If your intention is to grow during this time and to reflect and focus on the relationship and how it can develop and be better, then, you know, sure, there might be some days where you're like, okay, get the hell about my space. But then there are other days where that should be really focused on growing together. And I, you know, I wanted to ask you because I know that we've spoken a lot about black women and I, I wanted to just see if there are some noticeable differences that you've seen between your clients, like men or men versus women or people who maybe identify as non-gender uh, or gender or non-binary or non-gender uh, conforming, what, what some of the differences are between your clients or um, have you seen differences in the way that they communicate and the way that they assess intimacy and pleasure? You know what? I really can say that um, when we come to that, it is, I'm co- it's colorblind. Um, no matter the color, no matter the gender, self-worth, self-esteem, performance anxiety, um, trauma, uh, is different. Now, when we talk about different forms of trauma, yes, but far as the residue of trauma, the residue of shame, the residue of guilt, it, it, it's the same. Yes. I really say it's the same. When we add in the outside influence, I'm going to say it's, it's different because even with my same-sex partners, we talk about how they carry society on their back. And we talk about what all of my couples, I talk about how to make your home your sanctuary, how to make your home, when you come through that door, leave all that other shit on the other side. Right. Yeah. How to how to debrief when you get home and get and show up for your partner and for yourself and not leftover love and not with the residue of what you've been going through all day. We have rituals set up around that. Your house is a neutral ground. Your house is supposed to be a safe place, and we create that safe place. If it's changing paint, if it's bringing in candles, even if it's getting blessed or smudged, we have to make our home our sanctuary so we can feel safe. I feel the same way about the bedroom. A lot of stuff should happen outside the bedroom. Deep conversations, pillow talk is cool, but when we, um, not evaluation of the sex or the arguments, everything, because I notice people change when it's time to go to bed, they whole demeanor changes when they step into that bedroom. Yes. And they avoid the bedroom. That's when you hear people, I slept on the couch. I slept in the basement. Mm-hmm. I just fell asleep at my friend's house because they're mm-hmm. avoiding that space. So we try to make it to the house to make people aware that environment is such a big issue in this space for change. But far as with um, stereotypes, of course, I'm not going to say of course. Um, black women, I am a black woman, so we do discuss things about um, just gender biases, um, having a black man, loving a black woman, uh, the stuff that goes and ends and now it's about that. But I will say that at the bottom, at once we get over that, not, I'm not saying going to get over it, once we discuss that, everybody has the same issues. Yes, yes, I agree. And I mean, as a, as a therapist, as LMFT, um, I'm curious because I want to know if you feel like in general, in the practice of sex therapy, um, how important 
is it to be non-biased in your own sexual practices when relating to the client to clients? Because I know that, you know, we all do, we have prejudgments and we do have our own biases, whether we acknowledge them or accept them or not. But of course, the way that we interact with the world and our previous sexual relationships or non-sexual relationships shape how we view other people's um, intimate relationships. So I want to know just like, as a practitioner, how important is it that you show up to your clients always just with a with <laughs> no judgment or bias? That's an ongoing thing, and that's why uh, we have supervision. That's why we have support, and that's why we have our own therapist because we're human. We're human, and sometimes right. that come through. But professionally and ethically, we can't let that overshadow our session. If I ever felt like my biases were getting in the way, I will just gently, and if, and if my clients reflected that, because I asked for feedback, I would just sit up there and go to supervision or discuss with my own therapist what triggered me. Yes. What triggered me. So it's being open and honest and also know that I, too, need self-care. I, too, need pleasure. I, too, I too get triggered. And mm-hmm. understand that I'm, that's what makes me human. Right, absolutely. And then knowing that therapy is, I'm the expert on process, but my client is the expert on them. And so just understanding that and joining with them as we walk the journey together. I'm not coming as an expert and saying, you should do this or you should do that. So it's not really me in a session. It's just me bumping into their environment. And if I feel something that triggered me, what do I do? What I teach my clients to do? I check in. Yes. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to have to talk to somebody about that. That's dumb. <laughs> and you really would think of it like, what, especially with infidelity, a lot of people ask me, am I triggered? And I was like, you know, at first when I, but when I was in training probably, but not now, because I have a certain clientele, and it's come with marketing, that they want the information. They want to learn. Yes. And so it just gives me pleasure to want to educate them because they want to learn and they want to work it out. And even though that they don't, the clients that don't want to work it out, I also get pleasure of letting them know that they are got, they may suffer from betrayal trauma and this, what it may look like. And this is what to do with it. Can you speak a little bit about betrayal trauma or in your experience, what are some of the reasons that people are, people cheat i know that's a very broad question but i think a lot of us are always trying to assess if you have been cheated on or you're the ones to cheat it's like what where did the impulse come from is it because you're not satisfied in multiple ways whether that's emotionally intellectually etc but i wonder if you can share with some of our listeners you know some of the more common reasons why people do cheat i like to sum it up like this um, no matter if you're pulled into a fair um, because you want to see how uh, interest, um, excitement, or if you pulled or pushed, meaning put because of attraction, push because something not going on at home and you need this outlet. To go outside your relationship is a choice. Um, and a lot of the people I deal with, and especially the betrayed partner, I have to explain to them that I know they want to be selfish and think it's about them, but sometimes it has nothing to do with them. Right. And I say sometimes, sometimes it has nothing to do with them because uh, we, are, we self-sacrifice. 
and we want to control. If I can, if I can name it, I can control it. And I have the biggest breakthroughs when I say we have to listen to the infidel and let them tell you. And when the infidel, male or female, say, I don't know, they be like, yes, you do. I'm like, the, the person just told you they don't know why they did it. <laughs> yes, right. And yeah. that's the thing is because if I know, I can control it. You know, and that's why we see so many uh, outlast outbursts towards the third party. I can control that because that's that person. So I'm going to lash out and do all the anger on them. But we really not getting to the root of it. We're really not getting to the root of it, right? So um, infidelity and betrayal, I hear it all. You know, emotional affairs. And contrary to belief, a lot of stuff is not sexual. A lot of times it's not sexual. It's just because um, they see another part of them in that person. And that could be, and then we talk about the split self affair, we talk about the avoiding affair. It's so many different kinds of affairs. So I can't really put all affairs into a category, but I do. I do say this: no matter what it is, to push or pull, to cheat is a choice, and it comes a lot from the stem of um, self intimacy. Right. Self intimacy. Exactly. Self intimacy is into me. You see, and sometimes you got to know your story. And sometimes it's understanding your story and this need. And how are you communicating this need? And why can't you communicate this need? So yes. I sound a lot with even working with an infidel because we always heal the hurt partner, but we never want to hear what the infidel has to say. And that's the person who committed the affair. And we want to hear what they have to say because, you know, I just like the, we got the first instinct when we heard Lemonade came out and, Jay-Z and Beyonce then had the next album and Jay-Z did a series of interviews and he talked about it and he said he uh, infidelity is something he learned it was mm. learned and he was, it was done for survival and that mm. went over so many people's head that people just thought it was this woman this man just told you clearly that and you know you argue you get put out you argue get put out and then sometimes they was like, you know what? The next time, I'm not sleeping at my friend's house. I'm not right. sleeping in my car. I'm going to have somebody who's going to listen to me and not put me out. And what they do, rest in peace, Betty Right? they look at for the cleanup woman. The cleanup mm. woman is that woman who's going to stand there and wait for you. <laughs> and it's bad, <laughs> but mean, it's true. <laughs> that Betty Wright was my role I know a few of them. I know a few of them. Listen, I'm talking about, I know I'm talking about, if you know the blues, if anybody listened to that, I know I'm probably older than everybody, but the blues, listen to some of these songs. These women wait for you, and I'm not saying, well, you better do this, but what they said, what you do, somebody else will. But I do want to say, because I don't want nobody in my DMs coming for me, <laughs> <laughs> you're not responsible for the affair, but you are responsible for the relationship before the affair. Uh. You do okay. have part in the relationship before the affair. So be, we look at the, when working with me, I work solely on the affair, but I also look back at how are you showing up in the relationship even before the affair? And we have to talk about that because we know a lot of people um, give people leftover love. Now, this is not an excuse. This is not an excuse that um, the reason why to have an affair. This is what people tell me. I did it because leftover love. I wasn't number one. I lacked affection. I didn't feel attracted. This person made me feel more attractive. And we have the ones I was entitled to. 
I take care of home, I should be able to have sex with who I want, right? I should right. be able to have sex with who I want, entitlement. I can take care of as many women as I want to long as I don't bring babies home. These are all learned beliefs that they yes. live by. And when you, when you talk to especially men, I hear a lot of men, especially cultural. Cultural is a big deal. Cultural, when you have different cultures who they witness their father, and that's part of their culture, is to cheat. Yes, yes. And I mean, I don't want to generalize anyone's, um, you know, anyone's experiences. But in your experience working with couples or individuals, were, were there signs before the cheating happened that people chose to ignore? Some people chose to ignore because we want to live this. We want we we don't want to admit something's going on. Sometimes um, we want to admit that we know it's bad, but it's not that bad. Sometimes we're so busy with loving and caring for everybody else, we forget our partners, and we just throw them stuff and be thinking they're going to be okay. We take love, relationships, intimacy, and stuff for granted. So what I do with my uh, couples who want to work through infidelity is we go back and look at the relationship and see when did the door open back up? When right. did the door back up, open up for an affair? Now, this is something that is, is a very uh, a turning point in relationships. And you can just see, you know, the aha moment. It's not blame. It's not guilt. Because you got to release all of that when you want to learn and understand. Yes, and that's exactly. one thing about we talk about we're healing from infidelity. What helps is learning, understanding, and having a space to tell your story. That's Absolutely, what, that's what um, that's what helped because we we don't trust, and for that person to say it wasn't you, this is what happened, and it, so you can fill in the blanks. But this is not a time to ask how many uh, comparison comparison kills. You know, and a lot, especially women with no self-esteem, want to know about the sex, how many times, what position. I was like, is this going to help you? Yes, you right. Know, one mm-hmm. thing you do want to know is like, is um, any kids involved? Is a possibility of being pregnant for STDs? And then the biggest issue, because we live in shame, who knows? Shit, exactly. who knows? Well, exactly. And that's part of, I think, the reason... A lot of us have difficulty in sexual relationships and being emotionally available and intimate is because of our sex education. It like if especially when I think about growing up and learning about sex through porn or through TV or the media, or we're reading these stupid magazines when we're teenagers about which sex positions and how to keep a man and et cetera, et cetera. Right. That is just like it is not <laughs> it is not the way to think about sex at pleasure and how you you know use yourself and how you show up in those spaces is not a one recipe for all and that works and I don't think a lot of us you know yeah we didn't know that you had to be doing this constant work from from way way younger than I think we even really imagine how young we should be to already start having these conversations like I look at my niece who's 13 and I'm already just like we already needed to be having way different conversations you know what and for people who probably say what yes it's the foundation of self it's the foundation of self-empowerment letting your niece know that her needs and desires matter and desires are not sexual desires so it's not like 
you know, nothing like some people say, I can't talk about that, desires to want more, the desire that she can do anything, the desire not to settle for less, the empowerment that her voice. So that's the whole thing is that we have to empower ourselves and know the biggest thing, and I, I talk about this a lot, people's limitations do not make them your personal liabilities. We take people's limitations and make them part of us. If your partner cheats, that has nothing to do with you. You right. can't take that. You got to let people hold their own shit. I have so many people. This was what happened with self betray because one person in your life didn't have boundaries, didn't have the tact, or didn't didn't feel like they could communicate, or didn't know how to break up with you. That you take this and you put it and project it onto yourself, and you stop loving yourself, you stop trusting yourself. You stop even, some people even, they hate love, all because of this one person. Mm, And this is what I talk about. And even if it's multiple people, and then we discuss that because then we discuss about a lot of the energy that you projecting out and your self-worth or why you keep picking these same people. That's a whole different conversation. But we have to look at, (laughs) we have to look at their limitations versus your liability. The perfect thing I love to say is what they eat shouldn't make you shit, right? That's when we think about that. Yes, you love this person so much. You do love them so much, but always remember, remember that you independent. I love that. I can't live without you. That shit sounds so good until it's not. Right. Right. Exactly. And I mean, I think like you just said, it goes back to self-worth because I know I am the first one to admit that I have chosen a few too many of the same people who are clearly show me red flags early on, early, (laughs) early. And I continue to engage. And I think I said this on another podcast was for a long time, I really felt like I didn't deserve. So I only liked people who liked me first. Mm -hmm. So it was like, there was like a, it was a safety net. I was like, well, you know, they like me. So I guess I will participate in this relationship, but it was betrayed yourself. I betrayed myself because yes, I was never putting myself forward and saying, no, this is what you deserve. This is what you want. This is the kind of person that you want. But instead I was putting all of those demands of that served me to the side and just saying, well, this person likes me. So basically with the mentality of, well, I don't know the next time someone else is going to like me. So let me just go ahead Scarcity. and take this. Scarcity, which on which for black women, I feel like is a real concept. Scarcity. Why? Why did, what did you just say? What did you say? Your I friend don't... said, your friend <laughs> said, I'm going to find my man when it's because we had a scarcity. We had this thing and people will, um, people will uh, say this to me uh, all the time. It's no men. We're the black men. Where are the black men at? Where that? For one thing, I remember my mother told me, everybody going for the same man. Everybody going for these same right. men because we, right. we follow we follow these same men. We got this image in our head and it's all the same. But when you look at it, it is men out here. And I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I hear women, I'm not going to settle for less. I'm not going to do this. I'm not telling you to do any of that. I'm just telling you to be realistic. 
And mm-hmm. I'm also telling, remember, that was the whole thing. Before you know, what do you have to offer? You want right. this man to do this and do that. Sometimes you got to meet a man where he at, and that's where you at too. Y'all can grow together. Right? right, or sometimes you're gonna get a man that don't compliment and bring you up. Sometimes you can lock up, but it's usually the other way around. We get men that bring us. Sometimes we intimidated by successful men. Right, we True. always talk about how men are intimidated by us. We can be intimidated by men too. Oh, definitely, definitely. We can be but we don't talk about that. We don't we talk, all about, talk about, about scarcity. We don't talk about here go a guy who getting his life together and he on the bus stop and going to school and you in the car but you drive you drive by. He don't right. talk about a divorcee that you can have three to four kids and be okay, but he got three to four kids and you don't want to deal with him. Mm. You know, we talk about the double that standard. Real yeah. Stuff. Oh, very double standard. Mm-hmm. Or because you got your life together, especially women, we have to say we talk about privilege. We're very privileged. We have the means, we have the education, and we have the places to learn. Men doesn't have all. Men don't have all those spaces. Yeah, well, because of I mean, because of racism, that's what it is. Really, like it has systemic racism in our education system, in our housing systems, in the job system, in prisons. And it's, it's the generational narrative. Men don't know nothing about love language. Right. Who house you know you go over? I asked my son. My son stay in my house. My son can hear all this. I said, Ryan, what's your love line? He like, Mom, leave me alone. You know, I'm talking about these are some stuff that we take for granted. Yes. But he has to be open to learn. But it's not just a stem. It's how we raise it. Some of us are raising. Even men, we do say that a mama's boy. And then when they are sensitive, what we call a mama's boy. Yeah, exactly. When he tell you how to love him, <laughs> and nobody <laughs> wants a mama's boy, Aww. I'm like, damn, he damn if he do, he damn if he don't. He don't, right? He, right. He, he, he well, and I think I don't want to cry, baby. Oh, like, I know. There's no men out here. It's well, there's no a lot of toxic. Here. There's a lot of toxic masculinity. Masculinity, like you said that, and I think a lot of it does relate back to the way that you know, black men and women have been deemed aggressive or, you know, we're hypersexualized, et cetera. But we have this narrative that in order to be a man, in order to provide for your family, you have to be act X, Y, Z. And it's, it is a disservice if you are vulnerable or if you're in touch with your emotions or you know how to communicate, but it's like, we cannot continue that practice because it's not supporting a progressive, like black sexual narrative because these double standards don't allow us to grow in the same direction we're always expecting more or less from different sexes and it's just it doesn't it doesn't work (laughs) towards like a cohesiveness in the future down the line raising our kids in ways that they feel like they can be open regardless of their gender they can talk about feelings and sex and that it's not going to be held against them i do Um, say in the last couple of um years um uh even if you notice on social media a lot of space has opened up for the black males. Black and minority men are, do have the spaces now. Um, this newer generation is open up space uh, to talk more. They being in tune. I love it. I love therapy for black men. Me too. Men. I Me too. I love the man cave. I love uh, the briefcase. I love different stuff. And we listen to black men. I'm just so intrigued. Yes. I love to hear what they have to say and everything. And that's why you get so informed. And that's why when I come in and talk about infidelity and sex, you know, I have people personally and professionally who can help me and assist me to, to amplify their voice. 
So I'm giving women what they feel like they need to hear. But the point is, are they ready to hear it? Right. Are they a ready word. <laughs> a word. You have to be open to receiving information. You have to be open to doing the work. And I think and that listen, that takes courage. To, somebody can be right next to you. And mm-hmm. y- y'all so far apart. Right. Y'all so, so far apart, but they're laying right next to you because you choose to disengage. You, too, you choose to let societal standards dictate your relationship. Can we talk about systemic right now? You, just, you choose because society don't view them the certain way that you bring it in your house and you start all these arguments where we know they're doing the best that they can. We know Absolutely. that they are dealing, but not to make excuse, but just have understanding. Absolutely. Just like we want understanding. How can we create a space for understanding to discuss changes, to discuss new awarenesses, to discuss fear and feel safe? We do this and we riot and we pick it and all like that. And I said, what about the cause in your house? What about the mission in your house? Ooh, a word. We don't, we, don't, we don't do that. We don't riot. We don't march because we don't, we don't want to advocate for their rights and yours. And what is it? Make love and not war. How can we stop all this arguing and listen to understand? The people who have an affairs, how can you leave that outside where it's at? And disengage your affairs and tune back into the mission of your relationship. And if you don't want it, uncouple. Everybody has a right to be loved. Uncouple from that person. If you can't talk to that person, if you don't feel like you can have sex with that person, Mm. why are you with that person? Why are you with them? Please don't tell me no damn kids. Please don't tell me no damn kids. Because you can talk to child children of alcoholics. You can talk about children of drug addiction. Talk about children of infidelity. Y'all don't want to talk about that. Yes. How yes. that hurts when you know your mother has been cheated on or the cheater. Or your dad got all these random kids someplace. Mm. We don't talk about children of infidelity. And it's how that true. how that messes with you too. We only put in like a drug addict or this or, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Let's talk about that. And this is the only way that we can educate is awareness. We have to shine a light on monogamy. We can't assume monogamy. We need to discuss monogamy. And um, I'm on a show called The Briefcase um, on Facebook. It's me, uh, Boris, and Chastity, and we three black sex therapists, and we talk about taboo topics and everything. We talked about um, non-monogamous relationships. We got a good rating on that. And then we also brought in kink. Yes. We had two experts to come in about kink. And that was a powerful episode because we don't talk about it. Oh, we do and, not. We and do not. As African, and as black people, we don't feel like that's a space for us. But it's plenty. It's of space plenty for us. of space for us, and that is who we are. We are sexual, beautiful, voluptuous, and expressive people through our bodies. And it is, I think, to your point, a lot of black people. There's so much stigma and shame around sexual behaviors that don't fall into the quote unquote normative sexual realm that we've all been taught, which again is why in our school systems, we need to not be taught only the European centric models because it does not speak to our ancestry, our cultures, our religion that existed way before Christianity or way before other things that we were that were 
you know, imposed upon us once we came to America. But I think that, well, what is America now is, is that why we need to release those stigmas and shames because if you want to be free, whatever you want to do, if you're doing it safely, I always say like, you know, you should hold definitely like safely, but also consciously. And you have to be aware yeah, of, you know, yeah. yes. And consensually. Exactly. I believe in all that. I believe non-consensual non-monogamy. We need to talk about that. I'm monogamous, yes. but set everybody else not. So I don't um, yuck their young. Exactly. You know, I'm with one person. You might not want to be, but that doesn't mean I don't understand. And I have uh, clients who are in non-monogamous relationship, and I meet them where at because that's not the cure-all. Again, I know we're about to wrap up. Just because you're dealing with infidelity and the infidel be like, just open up the relationship. You can't open up the relationship you don't have communication in in the first place. Exactly. You know, they want to go, oh, we might as well. You know, you don't might as well do anything. You can't open up a relationship and don't take for granted. Because I talk to a lot of people in non-monogamy relationship and consensual non-monogamy. This is death. This is the ultimate of communication. Exactly. You just can't go on there. And I love listening to them and just how consensual, even in the kink community, this is when consensual and contracts come to play. So this is just not a might as well. And I'm never going to shortchange them and just be like that. Exactly. And I think it's so beautiful. So many more black people are having conversations about ethical non-monogamy. And to me, I'm just like, I support it. I love it. I want to see us thrive in it. If that works for you, if polyamory works for you, if all of it is consensual and it brings you joy and you feel like that's how you can best express yourself and love on whoever you want to love on. I love it so much. And I'm glad that we're having these conversations. And like you said, in the past couple of years, we're seeing more progressive black conversations around therapy and around ethical non-monogamy. And I'm just like, it's about time that we just allow ourselves this space to grow and to feel good and not and not you know feel shameful about it and i think that it's just like you said it's so beautiful and i can't wait to see how it translates to our children the next generations what it's going to look like because it's only going to continue to get more progressive and dynamic and it's beautiful to see and i'm sure you witness it every day (laughs) i'm envious (laughs) i push the pleasure um yes pleasure in and out the bedroom you know you deserve intimacy you, you, you know, you deserve a, a lot of stuff, but you have to feel deserving. You can listen at too many podcasts you want. You can pay people to um, uh, teach you. You can go to programs, but until you feel deserving and worthy and empowered, it's not going to sit. Exactly. So that's, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing. Beautiful. I mean, I think that that is a beautiful place for us to end on that note and it's the message i hope that everyone you know takes from this episode is that you deserve and it takes a lot of work to to find find that and to understand and to truly believe it that you deserve but i think it's so rewarding once you do put the work in and Renell, I want to just give you an opportunity to, you know, plug any of your work that you're doing. I know you said you mentioned the Facebook, um, you know, messaging that you have. If you want to talk a little bit about that or where people can find you online, on the Internet, all of that stuff. So on the Internet, um, I have a, I'm on Facebook, uh, Kaleidoscope Services with Renell. I'm a therapist in Arizona and Wisconsin. Outside of that, I'm also um 
a sex coach, an infidelity recovery coach. Um, if you have any more questions or want to know more about infidelity, you can follow me on my page at um, on Instagram and on Facebook, same name, is at uh, Fair Aftercare. And it's also a website uh, at affairaftercare.com. Uh, I am also on Instagram as Noir Sex Therapist. That's N-O-I-R, no E in sex therapist. Um, and that page is basically everything we talked about. I talk about sex, I talk about betrayal, and I give tips on relationships and how to really reconnect back to your life and yourself after betrayal. Wonderful. And I will be sure to link all of that information in our show notes so that everyone has easy access to all of your your work. And I want to say that I'm so appreciative of you to come on and join me this afternoon. I know that it's an incredibly fragile time for all of us, but I do believe that pleasure and sexual joy is also part of our resistance and that we deserve to feel good. And we haven't always been afforded that luxury as black people, as black women and black bodies. So I just say step all the way into it and live your best life. <laughs> even in, Like I said, even in darkness, you deserve pleasure. Exactly. So thank you so much, Ronell, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.